Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Real Life Stories on Building a Private Practice. And today I'm joined with Peg Shippert. She's a licensed professional counselor in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad that you volunteered to do this with me. Um, oh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> and, I, and I'm especially excited for people to hear about your story because, you know, you're still in transition. You're still in a growth period of your practice and figuring out when to leap. And I think that that's a, a common place for a lot of therapists. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a little tricky. Uh, I, I had one plan about how I was going to do it, which looks like it's shifting a little bit, but, um, but you know, that's just all part of the process too. And um, I'm feeling good about where I am and excited about where I'm going. So that's the important thing I think. All right. <laughs> So how, when did you start the private practice? Um, I started the private practice in the summer of 2011, so a few years ago. And why private practice for you? Oh, gosh. You know, um, a lot of reasons. <laughs> um, one of them was, you know, uh, I am a little further along in my life, I guess, than a lot of people are when they get out of school. and. Mm -hmm. um, and I had this whole other big career going on. And, it, and you know, um, my family and my personal life has been set up um, in a way that, that, that matched that career and where I was in the maturity of that career. And so it wasn't that easy to just say, okay, I'm going to quit that job and I'm going to get an agency job and put in my years and, you know, do it that way. My family couldn't. Uh, support that really and I was the main breadwinner um, my my husband works but um, yeah. what was that <laughs> I was saying yeah I, I understand what you're saying like there is a lot riding on your current career yeah and I, and I have for for a long time been ma making the bulk of our family income with that career so the thought of just like trying to get an agency job um, it just wasn't going to work because I would have, I really wanted to do something that was part-time and kind of phase into it a little more slowly and figure out the financials of the whole thing. And I couldn't just quit the other job and start in this career at the bottom. Um, I had to do something that I could do part, uh, part-time, I guess part-time was probably the biggest piece of it. Right. And I, it, I just couldn't figure out a way to find a part-time job um, doing the counseling. Right. And being your own boss means you have the flexibility versus if you did part-time at an agency, you had to be there when they want you to be there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wasn't licensed yet, you know, when I started my private practice. And so it wasn't even that easy to get a, a an agency job full-time, you know, I mean, they wanted licensed people. And so I just started where I was, you know, I, I had to do it part-time. And I didn't have a license, and I just opened my doors and, you know, took a lot of clients for next to nothing for a while <laughs> mm -hmm. because I just wanted to get started. I wanted to get the experience, and um, so that worked, out, that worked out pretty well. And what have you loved about private practice in your time that you've been in it? I love the one-on-one, -on -one and I love the creativity and being able to, you know, I did all my internships and practicum and everything at agencies and, and volunteered for years and years and years, you know, before I even started school doing um, 
agency counseling type work and the, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, you had to do it the way they wanted you to do it. There were rules and there were, this is, you know, this is the model that we use and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I had my own ideas, you know. And so being in private practice, I've really been able to work with what I wanted to do, work how I wanted to work with my clients. So, And what are some of those ways? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, one um, is working with my dog. My dog comes into the office with me. She's actually a professional therapy dog. She's been through a whole training program and passed a really rigorous test. And she and I both have... Uh, gone through a program in animal assisted counseling um, together and I love working with her and um, the energy that she brings into the office a lot so that's been really cool Um, and she adds especially a lot of my clients are are trauma survivors most of my clients are sex assault survivors so they come to me typically uh with um, a lot of trouble trusting people, you know, a lot of trouble feeling safe and a lot of anxiety and having the dog in there for a lot of people really um, helps build that sense of safety. And, you know, a, just the nervous system regulation, petting the dog, you know, is so beautiful to see. <laughs> That's wonderful. I mean, you couldn't have done that in an agency. <laughs> probably not yeah that's harder to do so you have your dog nova and what Mm -hmm. other things have felt that you were able you had more license for creativity with in your practice well one of the things that's different than any of the agency work that i've done is that i work i tend to work with clients for a longer time Mm -hmm. than I, i was ever able to in an agency and um which makes it, I think, more possible to work with people who have um, longer-term traumas from earlier in their lives because they just need the consistency, you know. It's all these attachment issues, and I don't want to hurt them more by, you know, creating an attachment and then saying, well, your 10 sessions are up. <laughs> right. So, so longer-term is also important. And then I do a lot of EMDR with my clients, and I am – part of a, I, I meet monthly with an EMDR consultation group with some of the people that I went through the training with. And nice. one of the, the person who facilitates it uh, does a lot of EMDR trainings. So she's really a wise, you know, experienced counselor. And we, we love hearing her perspective on things. And um, one of the things that I've developed with their support is um, the courage to do EMDR a little bit differently. I spend a lot more time typically on resourcing than I was necessarily trained to do. Not that they don't emphasize that. I mean, that's a big part of EMDR in general, but a lot of my clients come into me not even really being able to do a guided visualization, you know, closing their eyes or just kind of imagining things can feel unsafe. And so I spend a lot of time working on that with people sometimes. Sometimes we'll do one EMDR session and then we'll spend a lot of sessions talking about it, which is not necessarily how a lot of EMDR practitioners work. So Mm -hmm. it's been nice to have the flexibility to read my client and, you know, read the situation they're telling me about, um, really think about how those EMDR sessions are going and adjust it to their pace and my intuition about 
what I think is the best next step, you know? Yeah. I think if that's, if there's anything that people are going to get out of this right now is to hear that, you know, in private practice, you work from your best self with the most integrity, doing what your intuition and what your knowledge tells you is best, you know, moving forward. And instead of having a system tell you what is best, you now have yeah. more license to really work, operate from that place of integrity for you and the relationship you're building with the client. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think systems are where you have to start, right? Yeah. You, sure. you start with whatever you're trained at and then you see how it goes and, and then it's really beautiful to be able to just adjust that as I, as I want to, as seems right to me. So. And that's how we discover new ways of doing things too. Yes. You know, everyone's learning from the past and then creating and molding from there. We find new ways of doing things. So I think well, yeah, I mean, if you listen to the story of how Francine Shapiro came up with the whole idea of EMDR, she was just kind of winging it. She was like, oh, this seems to help. And then she went off and did research and tried it on a bunch of people or, or any of these great master therapists, you know. I use internal family systems work a lot also in my work. And Dick Schwartz, when he talks about it, you know, he just dove in. He just, like, listened to what his clients were telling him. He's like, oh, I think that I might be able to apply this to other people. And yeah. he screwed up a couple of times and mm-hmm. and then came up with something that worked better mm-hmm. from experience and having that creativity. So, What helped you build your practice to where it is now? Well, um, because I had the other career and the other job, um, I had this sort of financial foundation to be able to take on clients for very low fees at first. And so I reached out to a lot of the agencies that I had um, worked with as an intern and then also um, volunteered at and related agencies in the community. So, you know, I, I had spent a lot of years volunteering for a rape crisis hotline before I ever even went back to school for counseling. So I knew a lot of people there, and then I had done, I did my internship in the mental health center where they are as as part of that program as well. Mm-hmm. So I started there, and then and I just told them, look, I'm opening a private practice. I, I'll take people at the very low end of you know of the income ability to pay. And they started sending me tons of people because of course there's <laughs> there's a lot of people in that category. Mm-hmm. And not too many therapists that have a really low sliding scale. So that was a good way to get started. And then I started talking to, you know, I talked to the local safe house. I had, I actually ended up doing two internships because I got sick in the middle of one of them. And so that was at a hospice. The first one was at a hospice. So I went to them and told, you know, connected with them again. And I forget who all else. At one point I had volunteered at the local, uh, uh, child and Family Advocacy Center, so the people who do the forensic interviews for um, child abuse mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to them, and you know, I just c- connected with all the people in the community who had some uh, interest or knowledge of me and the population that I wanted to serve, which was mostly sex assault survivors and other trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. And now do you still like operate from that place of you'll take anybody or no, I don't. <laughs> As a matter of fact. Tell me about what switched and how you switched yeah. that around. So what kind of started that? 
Well, um, so I knew that I needed to change that because you can't see clients for, you know, 25 bucks a session for very long if you're going to actually try to make a living at it. You know, I mean, it's a good way to get started and to get experience. Um, but once I got my licensure hours and I didn't really, you know, I wasn't getting that benefit from it anymore. I really needed to change my mindset and try to start making this my real job because, you know, I have this other career, but I don't, that's not what I want to be doing. That's not my heart. You know, it's interesting and it's not a bad job, but it's not, um, I, I'm, the goal is to, is to ramp this up. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I wasn't sure how to do it all. And I ended up taking boot camp because I needed, to, I needed help and you guys totally helped me. So that was how I was introduced to the whole idea of how to deciding how to set your feet. Mm -hmm. you know, and, what's, and I have to say the boot camp community was hugely crucial in that because there's this big mindset change you have to go through. You know, I've been yeah. taking people for 25 bucks a session and all of a sudden I'm looking at, you know, if I'm going to make a living at this it's got to be more like 150 <laughs> you know that's do I feel like I'm worth that you know do I feel like that's ethical to charge and I you know but but you guys walked me through the whole process of seeing you know what do other people in the community charge there's a zillion therapists in Boulder yeah <laughs> every other person in Boulder is a therapist <laughs> and so there's this sense that you have to compromise what you want to get out of it in order to make yourself the choice that people will choose. But that isn't actually true as it turns out. <laughs> so, you know, I, I did the research, I did the numbers, I'm still working on the numbers, but I, I don't know if you remember the last boot camp, I totally got stuck on the financial module. Mm -hmm. I did not know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how to plug. I didn't know how to come up with numbers to plug in that were not just wild guesses. And so, um, I kind of got stuck there. But that was a great turning point too, because then I thought, well, I don't know that much about my financials. I don't know how much money I need. I don't know what my actual budget should be, and I don't have a budget. And so I went through this whole big thing. And one of the I can't remember who it was. Somebody on the on the Facebook group. Um, I was sort of talking about this <laughs> and somebody said, Hey, you know, I went through this program of just sort of getting your personal finances in yeah. order that I recommend. And so I, I have signed up for that. It's starting in a couple of weeks. My husband and I are going to go do this and it's just yeah. our person. We're going to start with our personal finances. We're going to have an actual budget, which we yes. never had. <laughs> That's what my husband and I did many years ago. We did that. Yeah. I think we did the same program actually, but yeah, we did something together. Very important. And that's going to help you a lot with your business. How has it yeah. been to transition your clients into that shift or did you end up kind of tapering off the lower fee yeah. clients? Like what happened there? Well, when I decided that I was going to try to really build the practice more because I had been doing this sort of half and half thing, which was working okay for a while, but then I decided, you know, there was a bunch of layoffs at my work, my other job. And I started thinking, well, what's my plan B? And I thought, well, you know, to build up my private practice. And then when I started getting excited about that, I realized, wait, that's not plan B. <laughs> that's not plan B anymore. That's plan A. So let's figure out how, awesome. how do we implement plan A. And, um, Oh, now I lost track of your question. <laughs> no. So how did you move clients? Like, how did you change the practice over? Well, so I did the numbers and I did boot camp and um, as much as I could figured out what I think my fee needs to be. And then I 
started so this the first step of changing the whole thing was that I I stopped taking on new clients and I reduced my practice for a year because I knew I needed to save some money Um, and I could make a lot more money a lot faster at my other job so the idea was for a year I'm going to work as much as I can while still holding on to the clients that I really need to keep um and so a lot of people just, you know, ended therapy and I didn't look for new clients. And so I got down to this core of, I think I have five people now who come in weekly. And then I have a few that I see um, on a more intermittent basis. And that's good for this year. And those people who I all, I've been seeing them all for at least a couple of years. And I have told them all that I'm going to be increasing my fees and that I'm going to be increasing them quite a bit. Um, but that I'm going to have a different plan for them than for the new clients that I'll be taking on. Yeah, right. So I told them, you know, I, I have this whole schedule, so it goes up every six months. And yeah. so they have the option to, you know, work with me for another six months and try to wrap up before it goes up another increment or, you know, maybe a year if they need a year and it won't go up too quickly. But after two years, they end up at the mm-hmm. full fee that I decided I need to have. So. Right. And that way you can feel very ethical, you know, like I can imagine taking someone at 25, 50, whatever, and then jumping up 300 times is going to be like, (laughs) yeah. And so just say, Hey, I understand like this is a decision I made that impacted our relationship and this is how I'm going to rectify it slowly so we can still get work done. Yeah. Right. That's exactly how I did it. And some of them, some of them are thinking that they're going to try to, you know, really knuckle down and get some good work done fast, which is great. You know, I mean, a little kick in the butt on therapy there. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Not yeah. a bad thing necessarily. And some of them have just started budgeting for what it's going to be and they're mm-hmm. okay. So, so I you, feel really good about that. So yeah. you, you mentioned like the financial stuff in boot camp. you got stuck there. What are, what's been some of the hard parts of doing this practice? Um, you mean specifically financially or beyond no, that? No, just beyond that, you know, okay. for you. What's been tough? Well, because I started at a private practice right out of grad school, um, that was scary. <laughs> yes, I imagine so. Um, I had some really great support. I had a wonderful supervisor who... I did call a couple of times in a little bit of a panic, <laughs> you know, what do I do? And she would walk me through some things. And I had my EMDR consultation group that I know I was going to meet with once a month, no matter what. And they're all excellent therapists. And I, I really came to trust the work that they do. So I had that community. And when I started, I was subletting an office from another group uh, of, uh, they were all private practice people, but they were, uh, leasing the space together and they would meet um, on a weekly basis for consultation. So I got a lot of consultation with them and I just looked for every opportunity that I could find to um, be part of a community to, to get input from other people, uh, which was key to the whole thing. I you know, would have been just terrified. If I and then, you know, I got to a certain point and I realized, okay, I need this not just for the clinical aspects of what I'm doing, but I need this for the business side of things if I'm going to make this a real business. And so that's when I found boot camps. So mm-hmm. That helped a lot there. Mm-hmm. Anything um, else you can think of? 
If not, that's okay. <laughs> no, uh, I have a little trouble with being really part-time and just little things like um, space, you know, like finding an office to sublet because I can't afford to have an office all to myself. And when you're sharing an office with someone else, sometimes it's like, you know, this is the place where I do therapy with my clients. It's very yeah. personal and yeah. I have control over the environment I'm in. And at, at first I was in this office that I shared with a therapist who was really different than I was. And, um, just on a personal level, it, I found it a little difficult to connect with her. I think mm -hmm. we're just really different kind of people. And that yeah. was super awkward for a while. You know, it was just I, I felt a little anxious coming into work all the time because I'm in her office. And, it, you know, so that was a little weird. <laughs> no, when I sublet, I remember when I moved into my own office, my clients had a hard time adjusting because yeah. they, even though they knew that wasn't my office, it had become my office. Yeah, right. right. And they were like, wait, all the, you know, the stuff that I would say trans, you know, the objects around that they identified me with yeah. were gone. And they're like, oh, this is you. Yeah. So it was an adjustment. And it was an adjustment for me too. Cause I was like, this is a, it is a self-expression. I think, you know, your space yeah. that you create. So I know. I, I'm really looking forward to getting my own office eventually, but I can't. It's going to be at least another year before I can do that. So, but the the office I'm in now, I'm sharing with an, another therapist, um, and I I actually really like it. I think it's I'm in it now. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good. It has windows, nice windows, and it has you know. Yeah. I, I like the way it was set up, and so that was. An evolution it was like making sure that I really liked the office I was in. Yeah, good. <laughs> Even though I don't have that much control over it. Sometimes you have to have a not great experience to find out what you want. You know, yeah. like you don't know until you know, sometimes you have the experience and then you're like, ha, yeah. ah, I need air conditioning after 6 p.m. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fan does not cut it. <laughs> so. You know, yeah. look, can we talk a little bit about your timeline? Because what I love, yeah. Peg, is that you have a very different timeline. Like, like for you to say, I, it'll be another year before I have a full-time office, you know, that's my own. I think often people in private practice feel this urgency, like it hasn't happened in six months or it hasn't happened in a year. And um, yeah. we've all got different ones. So what is it like for you to see like this bigger picture and to know that you're, you're taking your time? Can you speak to that for people that are kind of in that space that maybe six months is not like the best timeline for them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it sure took me longer than six months to get built up to, to have a real regular rhythm to my practice in the first place. It probably took me a year to really get there. Um, even when I was offering sessions for, you know, 25 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, because some of it, you just have to get your name out there. And I didn't know how to do that. And I was just, I was doing a lot of networking um, with the, with, as I knew how to do it, but there were a lot of things I was missing. So, um, yeah, so the timeline, well, 
the timeline got clear for me when I, when my other job went through the layoffs and I started thinking, what if this doesn't last as long as I want it to, you know, what if I don't have control over this? What is, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make a fast leap to the other thing? And then I started getting excited about building my practice and I realized no way that, you know, this half and half thing is nice and all, but, but let's make a plan to get to where I really want to be. And, I think for me, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, older than a lot of people when they are at this stage in their career. Um, and I think some of the lessons I learned through other things in my life have helped me be patient because, you know, I've been raising a kid and I've been through some pretty bad sicknesses and I've been through some career stuff and various things that, that are unexpected that sort of stop you and make you reevaluate and sort of figure out what's okay. And one thing that I have learned is that is that if you're just persistent, then things come around, you know? I love that. <laughs> I feel like we should quote that <laughs> somewhere. If you're just if you just keep walking in that direction, no matter how slowly you have to do it, then you're gonna get where you're trying to go eventually. And sometimes taking the path a little slower allows you to do it more thoughtfully. I agree. I do. And I think that was when I learned through grad school because it took me something like eight years to get through my master's degree for counseling. Because first I got pregnant and I had my daughter, and then a couple years later I. Uh, had this really bad medical situation and had to have this huge surgery and it took me like two years to really be fully functional again and so I had to slow down so I there's a lot of time that I took breaks from school or was taking one class at a time and you know barely able to get all the homework done (laughs) barely having the energy to do that you know and when you're taking one class at a time it takes you a long time to get a master's degree so sure but I think, I think you're speaking to something that a lot of people, a lot of therapists I speak with, you know, life happens and their plans are thwarted. But I like what you're saying. This just keep going no matter the pace. You can't compare your process to someone else's at all. No, right. Because if you quit because it's too slow, then, you know, you're never going to get there. Yeah. It all comes down to whether you really want to get there or not, you know. I had when I was sick, my advisor in school at one point I was I met her for lunch or something and she said, You know, grad school's gonna be here. <laughs> when you're ready, it will still be here and you can still do it. And I thought, Thank you for giving me permission to do what I need to do right now mm-hmm. and not feel like I have to I have pressure to mm-hmm. get back to it. Right. So I kind of take that into this as well. You know, I I don't want to turn my family upside down by completely, you know, cutting our budget in half and <laughs> probably less than half actually. <laughs> and and changing everything all at once so yeah. that I can get to this practice that I want to get to. I think I can do it thoughtfully and slowly and I think I'm going to get there you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get there probably with a lot more thought. So, mm-hmm. so what would you, any kind of like message or last words <laughs> that you want to say to someone that's starting their private practice that, um, yeah, that hasn't 
fully arrived, whatever they think that means, because I'll tell you, even when you think you've arrived, there's like new ideas and then there's something else to do. Are you feeling like you haven't fully arrived, Kelly? No, I just say there's always more growth and more learn. I'm never done. Yeah, you know, oh, right. I hope I'm never done. You and, know? and too, like thinking about my plan for private practice, I wrote a blog about this not too long ago, was not where it ended up. You know, it ended up with me selling the practice and moving my clients to just virtual. I never, ever saw that, you know. Um, right. I was on a very different course, but life happened and, and thank God it happened the way it did. And so I just want to... I want people to glean from your wisdom and what you have to say about that piece for any therapist that's in their private practice journey. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just echo some of the wisdom that people have told me, you know, it's always, it's going to be there. You know, if you need to go in a different direction and try something out and it doesn't work or it does, you know, all good. (laughs) It's all good. Yeah. I feel like it, it reminds me of the advice that you, one of the things that you do in boot camp is, you know, you spend some time imagining your perfect day and the, and you think about the clients that you feel really good after you see and the clients that, that really kind of, uh, are are more challenging and, and, or maybe sometimes, sometimes they're even easier, but they're not, they're not speaking to your heart, you know? Yeah. And it's from that experience that you then decide where you want to go in the future. And so that's always going to be changing. You know, you you may have a client that comes in next week and and they're like a revelation to you and what you want to be doing with your work. And and that hasn't even happened yet. And you've got to be ready to adjust for that, right? Yeah. I think that ready for adjustment is important. The flexibility, the the giving yourself permission to embrace what is and then respond thoughtfully to it. Yeah. 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 And I appreciate that about your story, Peg. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, I mean, it's not like it's super easy for me either. I certainly hit the points where it's like, (laughs) yeah. So if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, how can they do that? Uh, my email is peg at pegshippert.com. That's S-H-I-P-P-E-R-T. Um, and that's probably the best way. I'll also add your website link into yeah. the blog as well. Well, the website is just pegshippert.com. So. Great. <laughs> and hopefully any day now I'll have my awesome new photos of my therapy dog up there. <laughs> I can't wait. I got a little preview before we started recording and I got a little teary-eyed. They're very, very sweet, and that's very exciting. So congratulations as you integrate more of Nova into your work. and yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, thanks for talking to me, Kelly. It was great. Uh, yeah, thank you. And if you're listening, I would love uh, to hear what you've learned from this um, story and uh, give a big shout-out to Peg. And also, for those of you that are in the journey, Be patient and be kind with yourselves. This is a lifelong practice and we're in it all together. So have a great day. Bye.